fell in love in high school. Yeah, we were, we were high school sweethearts. But then after our junior year, his parents moved away. But I never forgot her. You never forgot me. <laughs> no, her, her face was burned on my brain. And it was 34 years later that I was walking down Broadway and I saw her come out of Toffinetti's. And we both looked at each other and it was just as though not a single day had gone by. She was just as beautiful as she was at 16. He was just the same. He looked exactly the same. Let me add my good morning to all of you on this uh, interesting weekend in Minnesota. <laughs> Those of you who are joining us online, we welcome you. And if you are not part of Minnesota, you have missed out on a little bit of a storm and a blizzard. Those of you who are part of Minnesota and part of Whitdale Church and have stayed home to join us, we just welcome you. And today we'll be celebrating Holy Communion together. And I want you to know that at home, you can participate with us. So if you want to have somebody grab some crackers or some bread, get some cups. You can put juice in it, milk in it, water in it. These are just symbols that represent the body and blood of Christ. Then later on, you can partake with us as well. So feel free to do that. Well, this is the second message in our series, The Meaning of Intimacy. And it's a topic that uh, our culture is enthralled with. We see it, we hear it constantly. The problem is the message the culture sends to us about intimacy is not the message that God wants us to have. And unfortunately, a lot of times, as the church and as believers, we don't say anything about it. We hold back. We let the culture kind of dominate the, uh, the message. And that's why we're in this series, to say, this is what God has for us in the area of intimacy. This is what God declares. He's the creator. He made us sexual beings. He gave this gift to us. And when we practice it his way, it is fulfilling. It brings joy. It doesn't bring hurt. It doesn't bring loneliness. It doesn't bring pain and all the kinds of things that we see in our world today, in a world really, especially in the Western uh, world, where we have become truly sexualized and everything, everything seems to be driven by that. So we want to say, here's what God has revealed about this gift of intimacy, and here's how we can practice it in the safe and good boundaries that God has laid out in a marriage between a husband and a wife. And then that informs us then as singles how we ought to approach it, and it certainly informs us as parents how we ought to train our kids. So last weekend, we began in the Song of Solomon, this book that to many people seems rather awkward in the Bible. It's this very passionate a graphic love story that God allows us to peek into and to watch and to follow to teach us about our sexuality, to teach us about romance and about intimacy. And uh, we met there the Shulamite. This is the woman. We don't know any more about her name than that. And what we believe is King Solomon. And we found out that it was love at first sight. He met her in chapter 8, beginning at about verse 8 through 12 in a little bit of a flashback scene. And we learned that uh, her integrity, her moral purity was important to her, and she kept it from, you know, a young child all the way until her wedding night. We know that uh, Solomon met her in a vineyard, and she referred to her own virginity as her vineyard, and she says, I've kept my vineyard, and I'll give it to whoever I want. They fell in love. He whisked her away, and they went 
to Jerusalem where the courtship began. And so what we want to look at this weekend as we watch the beginning of the relationship is what I call the secrets of attraction. What are the secrets of attraction? Ladies, what is it that men are attracted to in a woman? Men, what is it a woman possesses that attracts a man? And what are the qualities you ladies should look for in a man? What are the qualities you men should look for in a woman? What are the qualities as husbands and wives we need to practice in our lives and keep strong in our lives to keep the attraction strong between us? What are the qualities we should pass on to our, our sons and, and to our daughters? So often when you hear the word attraction, right away the first thing that comes to mind is physical looks, right? And our culture is so into physical looks. There was a leading uh, Christian thinker who wrote a book several years ago, and in it he said, society has basically come to a place where the soul doesn't matter anymore. That everything could be summed up in the totality of the flesh. And when a culture gets that place, when a society gets that place where it's all about the flesh, it's a dangerous place to be. But that's where we are today. And so it's so much about how do I look? Am I good looking enough? I came across a website that I will not reveal where you can send in a picture of yourself and have people rate you on, in terms of how attractive, how good looking you are. 300 million users since the website went up. And I'm telling you something, you talk, about, you talk about something that could be devastating to you. As young as 13 years of age can be on it, but it's easier for younger kids to be on it as well. And supposedly they keep adults and, and, and uh, teenagers separate, but they really can't do that. And it's really a dangerous website. It's a place where some really bad things uh, happen as a result of it. But, you know, how desperate to kind of put your face and your figure out there and and ask the broad audience, what do you think of me? Am I good looking enough or am I not? Uh, even ugliness is in these days. If you uh, want to go to Zimbabwe, Africa, they have a, they have a Mr. Ugly contest, uh, believe it or not. And in 2015, they had a riot. And so I thought I'd tell you about it. I thought, I thought it was kind of fascinating, a little bit humorous. So in 2015, pageant judges... Zimbabwe crowned a new winner of Zimbabwe's fourth annual Mr. Ugly contest, upsetting supporters of the crowd favorite and prompting a rioting at the event. Judges chose 42-year-old Misson Sere, citing his numerous missing front teeth and a wide range of grotesque and facial expressions over William Masvinu, who had held the title since 2012. Masvinu and his supporters mobbed the judges upon hearing their decision, claiming that Sari was too handsome to win and his ugliness wasn't natural since it was based on missing teeth. I am naturally ugly. He is not. He is ugly only when he opens his mouth, maintained Masvinu, gesturing at his rival. Do we have to lose our teeth to win? This is cheating, shouted another contestant, Patrick Mupereki. While no one was injured, there was a great deal of pushing and shoving as the results were announced and insults were hurled at the judges. They should just accept that I am uglier than them, Sari said. I hope to get a TV contract. I already moved around schools performing and showcasing my ugliness to see, and I see this as a chance to make it on TV. Wow. Wow. If I'm not beautiful enough, then I'll make being ugly beautiful, right? Is that what it's all about? Is it all about how we look? Is that what attraction is all about? Absolutely not. 
goes way beyond that. It's really not about looks at all. And so we're going to look at the secrets of attraction. And to do that, turn open to the Song of Solomon. Let's look at chapter 1, and I want to begin reading at about verse 1, all right? And we'll take a look and see what the Shulamite is going to reveal to us about what it means to be attractive. So get your Bibles out. Mine is stuck together, pages. And let me start reading chapter 1. Here's what it says. Solomon's Song of Songs. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than wine. Pleasing is the fragrance of your perfumes. Your name is like perfume poured out. No wonder the young women love you. Take me away with you. Let us hurry. Let the king bring me into his chambers. Now the friends say, these are the women in the court, all right, who are watching this. We rejoice and delight in you. They're referring to Solomon the king. We will praise your love more than wine. And then she responds, the girlfriend, how right they are to adore you, Solomon. Now, what is it everybody's adoring about Solomon? What is it that is so attractive about him? You might want to take a look at what it says there when it uses the term name. She says, your name, in verse 3, is like perfume poured out. What was attractive was his name. And in those days, your name was synonymous with your character. So in essence, what she's saying is, Solomon, what I find so attractive about you and what the ladies of the court find so attractive about you is your character, is your character. And as you look at the life of Solomon as it's contained here in the Song of Songs, the attribute of his character that just seems to rise to the surface is his gentleness. In the Song of Songs, he's a true gentleman. So if you want to write something down, you can write this down. The character trait that women find most attractive in a godly man is gentleness. Now, I'm at this point talking to believers, though obviously everything we say can be applied to a non-believer as well. But I'm talking about men and women who are really trying to follow Christ, really trying to honor him in their lives. What we know in that case is that the character trait that women, godly women particularly, find most attractive a godly man is gentleness, gentleness. So guys, I want you to listen in. Online, you men who are listening as well, and you sons, listen to me. Husbands, listen to me. We're going to ask ourselves right now how we're doing in the area of gentleness. And you ladies who are single, who are interested in a man, or maybe there's a man that's interested in you, the question you want to be asking yourself, is he a gentleman? You fathers, the question you want to be asking yourself is, how are you doing if you have a son in mentoring him in the area of gentleness? What does gentleness even mean? I came across some writings by a Christian counselor named Deborah Filetta. She's also an author, and I saw the attributes that she gave to gentleness. I thought, I can't improve on this, but I can expand a little bit on it. So I want to share those with you. The first characteristic of a gentleman or a gentleness is honesty, is honesty. Now, remember the fruit of the Spirit, what God wants to produce in our lives through his Spirit, love, remember, joy, uh, peace, joy, faithfulness, and then it goes on, 
and it says gentleness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. So the gentleness I'm talking about here is not a gentleness that I produce in my own effort and my own strength. We're talking about a gentleness that I allow the Holy Spirit to produce in me as I cooperate with him and submit to him and obey him. Honesty is part of what it means to be a gentleman. Honesty about our weaknesses, honesty about our strengths, honesty about our failures. Boy, that's hard, isn't it, guys? <laughs> honesty about our dreams. Truthful, in other words. Even when the truth hurts, being truthful, not holding back, being honest, women find that attractive. Why? Because when they find an honest, truthful man, they have found a man that they believe their hearts will be safe with. The temptation we have, however, as guys in the culture that we live in is to be dishonest, to lie, and to act. Why? Because we feel like we have to be like the men who are held up by the culture that we see in the media I've got to act a certain way. I've got to cover up my faults. I've got to look really good. I've got to put a fake front on in order to, in order to catch the girl. When the truth is, women want somebody who's honest and can talk about their failures and not be shaken by that. Then they feel like, you know, if, if he can be that honest, then, then I'll always be able to trust him, and therefore I feel safe with him. So how many of you women, by just a quiet little amen, which, by the way, means so be it, would say, yes, you find that attractive in a man, honesty. Let me hear you. Yes, I could even hear it coming from online all the way into the building. <laughs> amen, right? Right, that's an important thing, honesty. Right? Let's look at a second attribute, and the second attribute is Purity is purity. Now, when I talk about purity here, I mean uh, purity in terms of, of what I look at, purity in terms of what comes out of my mouth, purity in terms of what I do with my body, certainly purity in the area of sexuality. Women find a man who makes purity a priority very attractive to them. So, guys, the question becomes, how are you doing in the area of purity? Is that important to you? Purity in every aspect of your life. Dads, how are you doing mentoring that in your son's life? Do you spend time talking to him about what it means to be pure? And are you talking to your daughters about what to look for in a man who holds up purity as a virtue to pursue? And you ladies, are you, are you uncompromised? Are you determined? that you will only date, that you will only marry a man, you single ladies, who has purity in his life. And we should never take for granted that because we're pure, that it's just an easy walk in life because we are assaulted, all of us, but especially as men, we are assaulted constantly by impurity. And impurity can be so tempting. I love what it says in the book of Job, chapter 31, verse 1, where Job is doing kind of a moral inventory. He says, I have made a covenant, I've made a promise, I've made an agreement with my eyes not to look lustfully after a woman. And in some versions, not to look lustfully after a virgin. So here's Job saying, you know what? I know myself. 
I know how the male works. I know how we're visually stimulated. So I made this agreement that I'm going to not look lustfully at a woman. Now, some have applied it this way. They said, in essence, what Job was saying, I'm not going to look at a woman below the chin. I'm going to keep my eyes at the chin and up. Guys, how are you doing in that area? in that area of making sure that, um, that you're being pure. There's kind of this fallacy out there, and Deborah Filetta, she's writing on this fallacy, puts it like this, I'm quoting her. She says, it sickens me to interact with women who expect their men to fall prey to lust, cheating, and adultery as if that's just part of being a man. She's, she's upset by that, she says, how can we believe that as women? Why have we allowed a male, you know, kind of oriented culture to convince us that's just how boys behave? Boys will be boys, right? No, boys don't have to be, quote, boys. Men don't have to fall to temptation. Men don't have to act on their urges and their desires. Guys, we can overcome temptation. The way we overcome temptation is follow the model of Job. Make a covenant with our eyes. If the eye gate is, is the, the greatest vulnerability we have, then make an agreement. I'm going to look on the chin up. Make an agreement. When I'm in a difficult situation, like it says in the New Testament, I'm going to turn and run. I'm going to flee lust. Make a decision what you're not going to watch and not going to listen to. Make a decision, you're not gonna hang out with the guys when they start talking derogatorily about women and treating them like sex objects. Just make up your mind, you're either gonna speak up for women, because at that point you're speaking up for your wife and your daughter, or your future wife, your future daughter. Either speak up or just walk out. But as Christian men, as men who want to follow Christ, we've got to decide no matter what the rest of the culture does, we're going to take a stand and we're going to take a stand for women in its proper way by being an example and a model ourselves. How many of you ladies would agree that you're attracted to a man like that, to a man who loves and practices purity? Let me hear your amen. All right. There's never an excuse for a man. I don't care what she looks like. I don't care how she presents herself. There's never, ever an excuse for a man, ever. And I really want to be clear about that. We need to control ourselves. We can control ourselves. We can't listen to lies of the culture. Let's look at the third principle, all right, that women are attracted to in a gentleman, and that is strength. Now, by strength, I don't mean, you know, the rippling muscles, all right? By strength, I mean strength in terms of strength of the mind, strength of the spirit, strength of the will. I love that parable that Jesus tells the New Testament. Remember that? Kids, you sang a song, if you remember growing up with this song, if you grew up in the church. The wise man built his house, men upon the what? What can you do better than that? Come on, online, you can do better, all right? Here we go, ready? The wise man built his house upon the? Right? And the foolish man built his house upon the? And the rain and the storms, the wind came, the house on the rock stood. <laughs> Firm. All right. I'll <laughs> try it one more time. Stood what? Very good. All right. And the house built on the sand, what happened to it? It was washed away, right? Washed away. Well, it's a beautiful picture of truth. 
You're either going to base your life on the truth of God's word, or you're going to build your life on the shifting sand of culture and society and philosophy and what, what the world says. And Jesus says, if you build your house, if you anchor it to the rock, to the truth, no matter what happens, no matter what comes, no matter what storms of temptation or trials or difficulties, you'll, you'll, you'll manage, you'll be firm. But if you're not based on the truth, you'll easily be tempted, you'll easily fall away. So guys, the question is, are you basing your convictions and your values on the truth of God's word? And the only way to be able to do that is to be into the word of God, right? And are you teaching your sons to be young men of the word? You single men, what are you doing? Are you basing your life on the word of God or the opinion of your peers? Who will you stand before someday and give an account to? Your buddies? No, <laughs> but to God. Women are attracted, women are attracted to a man who has strength in conviction to the truth, especially godly women. If you women agree with me, can I hear you say amen? amen. All right, it's getting better in, in, in the room here and online. They're screaming, man. There's amen all over the place there, all right? All right, let's look at another quality. Compassion, compassion, compassion. Women are drawn toward men of compassion. What I mean by compassion is men who are broken for the things that God's heart is broken for. But not just men who are broken for the things that break God's heart, but men whose brokenness then leads them to action, to feed the hungry, to take care of the orphan, to meet the needs of the widow, to see what's wrong and jump in and say, what can I do to help set this straight? in a way that will bless the person who's suffering or the group that's suffering and struggling. And one of the wonderful things that I appreciate about our, our church, Wooddale Church, is that we are very committed to showing acts of compassion here, near, and far. And I thank you for your support and your involvement in that. But in your daily life, showing compassion is so powerfully attractive to your wife, your single men, to women, so, so powerfully attracted to find a man filled with compassion. Ladies, if you agree with that, can I hear an amen from you? What a profile we're drawing, huh? Honesty, purity, strength, compassion. Is there one more? Absolutely. How about humility? How about humility? Philetta writing <clears throat> makes this comment. Uh, she says, Jesus was the manliest man who ever lived. Jesus was the manliest man who ever lived. Why? Because he gave his life away for the sake of others. That's the ultimate sign of humility, that you can give your life away. Pride is about keeping my life. Pride is about taking life. Humility is about being a servant. That's what Jesus did. He gave up his power. He gave up his position. He became like a servant. He washed the feet of his disciples, and then he died for us. How could he do that? Because he was so secure in his father's love. Because he was so secure in who he was. His worth and his value came from being his father's son. What gives you and me the capacity as men to practice humility is to be so secure in our father's love for us. 
and find our worth and our value not in our success and not in our accomplishments and not what we can take, but in our relationship with God. That just frees us up to serve. To serve our daughters, to serve our wives if we're married, to serve those in need and those around us, you single men, to serve the people around you at work, to serve your peers, to serve others. Women are powerfully attracted to a man of humility who wears a towel over his arm because he's always ready to serve. Now, guys and gals, I want you to take a look at this list with me. The traits of a true gentleman, honesty, purity, strength, compassion, humility. Wow. Ladies, if you find a man like that, or if you have a man like that, do you feel like you've got a prize? If so, let me hear an amen. amen. All right. So you're like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. So guys, let me ask you a question now. How are you doing in these areas? If you're honest, like I'm gonna be honest, there's a couple areas there I look at and I go, I got some improving to do. Then choose one and improve it. Because if you improve one, if you'll improve one, believe me, the rest will come with it. So which area do you need to improve on? Mark it down, write it down right now. And when you leave here today, tell somebody, I'm gonna work on this area. If you're married, tell your spouse. And if, you, if you're convicted, like I did, you can ask my, my wife. I, I, I went to her this week and said, I, I really have a hard time preaching this message this weekend. Because there's some areas I need to work on. And I confessed that to her and I said, I wanna do better in this area. You do that too, guys. Talk to your wife about that. Talk to your sons about it. You single men, find your peers. Find those you're accountable to and say, this is an area I gotta work on. I really wanna work on. But listen, not so I'll attract a woman. Not so I'll just keep my wife interested in me because it's, what attract, it's what's attractive to God. It's what's attractive to God and I ultimately wanna please him. But it's not just about the men, all right? It's also about the women. What, what is it about a woman that's, that men find attractive? And I love the fact that we're only having one service because I can go overtime. <laughs> I taped this Friday just in case this all happened. All right, I had to like shorten it. I can go till six o'clock tonight. I'm in good shape. All right, hope you stay a little bit longer. I am running overtime. The more I talk, the more I get overtime. Look at verse seven, verse seven. Now, by the way, in the Song of Solomon, the Shulamite, the woman, does most of the talking, all right? And it's just the way it turns out in the text. Don't take that personally. Solomon just doesn't have a lot to say, all right? All right? So listen what she says, verse 7. Tell me, you whom I love, she's talking to Solomon, where you graze your flock and where you rest your sheep at midday. Why should I be like a veiled woman besides the flocks of your friends? Translated, here's what she's saying. Solomon, tell me where you are so I can go and find you. I don't want to wander around and look like a prostitute. And I'm asking all your friends, where's Solomon? Where's Solomon? And they think I'm some prostitute trying to solicit you. Remember, this is a woman who kept her vineyard. So here's the principle, if you want to jot it down. The character trait men most admire in a godly woman is her commitment to self-respect. Is her commitment to self-respect. That was huge for her. It was important to her. 
She had huge self-respect. This is my vineyard. I'll give it away to the right man at the right time in God's boundaries. I am not going to let anybody force me to give away myself. And believe it or not, I know it's counterculture when I say this, believe it or not, men, especially godly men, are attracted to that. What is the characteristics of a woman who maintains such integrity and self-respect? Well, Deborah Philetta says, first of all, realness, kind of like honesty, realness. Guys, look for a woman who's real. And it's so hard for a woman to be real today. Why? Because all the image of women you see in the media are airbrushed, aren't they? And are made to look a certain way and only certain figures are held up and that's what we're told is a real woman. That is fake news, right, ladies? That is fake news. That, that's coming from the culture. That's coming from the enemy himself. Listen, our looks are here today and gone tomorrow. They fade quickly. God wants you to be real, ladies. Real about yourself, real about your appearance, real about your, your goals, real about your desires and your dreams, and real about your, about your weaknesses and your failures. A godly man looks for that because a godly man, just like a godly woman, wants to find a man, you know, wants to find a woman who's, who's just going to be who she is and doesn't have to worry that, you know, I'm just getting... I'm just getting an image here. I don't really know the full story and, and I feel like something's being held back. I, I want to feel that my heart is safe with her. So it's just as important for a woman to be real. How many of you guys would agree with that? Let me hear you say amen. amen. All right. And online, I can hear you as well. And so maybe guys, listen, I'm being hard on the guys this weekend. Listen, guys, maybe what you need to do, especially those of you who are husbands, maybe you need to give your wife permission to be real. Because maybe she doesn't feel like she can be. Because of what you talk about, what you look at. And so she feels like she has to be this other person that she really isn't. Because she's afraid if she's who she really is, you won't want her, won't like her anymore. So give her permission to be who she is. And as your wife matures, as your wife ages, right? What does she compare herself to? Doesn't make sense to us as guys, but she compares herself to the airbrush model on television or in the print media, on the ads. You need to let her know that she doesn't have to compete with anybody. You need to let her know that you just want her to be real. And that's what you love about her. That will mean so much to her and to your daughters. Right, second characteristic, and that is confidence. Confidence. Men want a woman, are attracted to a woman who is confident, confident about who she is, confident about her dreams, confident, confident in her abilities, confident in her goals and her vision for life. It's attractive to a guy. Gals, you need to know that. It's attractive to a man. Wants a woman who's strong in her convictions and in her beliefs. It's like a woman wants a man who's that way. Ladies, sometimes I think there's this idea that, that, you, that we have given to you as women that, that to, to be attractive, you've got to flaunt and you have to flirt. But I want you to know that godly men are not attracted to that. 
You know what? You know, ladies, that if the only way you can get a guy is by flaunting your, your body and flirting all the time, then you're going to have to do that for the rest of your life to keep that guy. Because that kind of guy is going to get tired of you pretty soon. And there's a whole bunch of other options. Don't fall for it. Don't fall for it. Be confident in who you are. Don't change and pretend to get a guy to like you. Be who you are. If he doesn't like it, his tough luck. Wait for God to bring you the right man. You say, I've been waiting a long time. Well, keep waiting because the alternative is a disaster. The alternative is a disaster. All right, let's look at a third one. And that is beauty. Go, oh, I knew it. I knew beauty was coming. There we go. It comes always down to looks, doesn't it? Okay, well, guys, yes, guys are attracted to looks, but this is not the kind of beauty I'm talking about. I'm talking about the beauty of your inner person, your inner being. That is far more attractive than you think it is, ladies. Far more attractive than you think it is. The beauty, and I've written down some things here, I don't wanna miss this, the beauty of kindness is attractive to a man. The beauty of compassion, the beauty of humor, the beauty of love, the beauty of joy, the beauty of gentleness is so powerfully attractive to a man. You men agree with me, let me hear you say amen. It is, it is. My mom is almost nine years old. She's suddenly taken a turn for the worse in her health. I went down quickly to see her, take her out of the hospital, get her home, set her up, and I'm watching her deteriorate, and it breaks my heart, breaks my heart. I see my mom there, and she's just struggling physically, and, and, and yet, as I looked at her, because I, I slept near where she was sleeping to keep an eye on her, and the oldest son, Huge responsibility. It's one of my biggest strengths and weaknesses. And I just, I just watched over, and I wake up in the middle of the morning. I would just watch her. And as I looked at her, I thought, "Mom, you are so beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman because you sacrifice so much. You've given so much. You serve so much. Those hands that are, you know, not real straight anymore, and and that face that's so wrinkled has has endured so much, and you prayed so much." for your husband and for your children and for so many others. And to me, she's so beautiful, she's so beautiful. To me, when I think about my wife, Marsha, I find her beautiful to me outwardly, but I'm telling you what, the beauty I see when she smiles, when she laughs, when she's with the grandkids, I'm overcome by the beauty that I see in her life. Ladies, don't discount the beauty of character of kindness, of joy, of humor, sacrifice, of service, of caring. It means so much. And that's why as you get older, ladies, forget, you know, forget about it all being about, you know, my appearance outwardly. Understand there's a beauty that, that physically can never be touched. Beauty of your inner self means a lot, means a lot to men. Let's move on, all right? And let's talk a little bit about passion. Now, there's a difference between emotionalism and passion. Emotionalism, you're here today, there tomorrow, here today, there tomorrow, right? We're all emotional creatures. When I talk about passion, I'm talking about energy. I'm talking about the passion to pursue your dreams, the passion to pursue godliness, the, the passion to commit yourself to a cause and to a concern. And they give your all to it. Men are attracted to women who are passionate about good things and right things and about life and about adventure. 
They're about the gifts that God has given to them. Be real, be yourself, but be passionate about those things in your life. That is attractive to men. Amen, men? Very attractive, very attractive. Now, just imagine if, ladies, if you just grabbed one of those today, which one do you want to improve in? If you'll improve in one, it will bring the others up with it. That's the beauty of this. You do one better and the others just come from behind and make it there. So the question is this, how do we help each other? How do we help our men, young men, single men, married men become more gentle, gentlemen? How do we help the women, our wives, our, our single ladies, our daughters, how do we help them become women of great self-respect? The answer is given to us in the text, and you can just jot this little principle down. And the principle goes like this. The beauty of attraction is enhanced by the adornment of praise. It is praise that brings this out of each other because we step up to whatever is celebrated. That's life. Whatever someone celebrates about you is what you will become for the most part. You gotta find them, you gotta find the person that's gonna celebrate the right things. That's the point. So let's, let's uh, take a look at how, how uh, Solomon does this for the woman, okay? You're not gonna like this, ladies, but listen, verse nine. I liken you, my darling, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariot horses. Your cheeks are beautiful with earrings, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make you earrings of gold studded with silver. Some of you ladies are probably sitting there online or here thinking to yourself, if that man ever calls me a horse, <laughs> we are gonna have trouble in this house. All right, so this is a different culture, different time. When he talks about this mare, all right, he's talking about the leading horse that would draw, all, uh, that would draw the chariot of Pharaoh. All the other horses would be paired up, but the mare, that special horse we put at the front to lead all by itself, beautifully decorated and adorned. Now, what Solomon is saying is, you are unique beyond all other women. You stand out to me. You stand out to me. But here's what's funny. I have to be careful what I say. I get in trouble. It sounds like a woman. Ready? Here we go. Look at, uh, look at verse 5. Dark am I, yet lovely. Daughters of Jerusalem, dark like the tents of Kedar, like the tent curtains of Solomon. Do not stare at me because I am dark, because I am darkened by the sun. My mother's sons were angry with me and made me take care of the vineyards, my own vineyard I had to neglect. Hear what she's saying? She's saying, compared to all you women of the court, I am so dark, I've been out in the sun so much. I'm not fair-skinned like you. I don't have access to the spa like you guys have. You ladies know how to walk and how to talk and how to act. I'm just a country girl from up north. Your skin is so small, so smooth and soft. Mine is so rough and hard, calloused. My hair is not nice like yours. My fingernails are, are brittle. They don't look nicely manicured like yours. Do you women ever compare yourself to other women? Don't ask that question. You see what she's doing? She's like, she's like struggling. I feel great, but then I feel terrible. I feel beautiful, but I feel ugly. Solomon just keeps praising this woman and it has an effect on her. And I want to I show you the effect. Come to chapter two, verse one. She says, I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. 
He says, like a lily among thorns is my darling among the young women. What happens to her? She goes to this valley. I feel good about myself today. I feel horrible about myself tomorrow. I feel good about myself again. Who's the one that makes her feel good? Who's the one that brings healing to her heart and to her life? It is Solomon. And how does he do that? He praises her. Guys, can I ask you a question? How are you doing, husbands, now? How are you doing at praising your wife? Do you praise her for the qualities God has placed in her life? Are you bringing those out? Are you talking those up? Are you encouraging her, those words, and do you do it sincerely? Are you writing her notes, telling her how much you appreciate who she is? Not just for what she does, but who she is. That means so much to a woman. You men, you single men who, who may be looking for a relationship with a woman, don't just give her flowers, but give her sincere words of praise and not so you can get something. Praise for the sake of praise. Guys, do your sons hear you praise your wife? Do you praise your daughter for the right things? Not just for physical things. Be careful with that. If they hear you praise them constantly for their physical beauty, they begin to believe that that's all that matters. Praise them for many other attributes as well. And how about her for him? What does she do for him? Come back to the passage and look at verse 12 with me. She's speaking. She says, while the king was at his table, my perfume spread its fragrance. My beloved is to me a sachet of myrrh resting between my breasts. My beloved is to me a cluster of henna blossoms from the vineyards of Engedi. Come down to verse 16. How handsome you are, my beloved. Oh, how charming. And our bed is verdant or it is lush. She's already desiring to be married. She's already desiring to be his wife. She's fantasizing about that. Oh, for that day that it would come. But here's what she does for him. What she does for him is she tells him that he is a standout, that she's stuck on him, that she loves him so much that like that little session of perfume next to her heart, she's saying, I want you there. I want you next to my heart. There's, there's no room for anybody else but you, Solomon. You're the only one that can fill this void. You matter more than anybody else. Ladies, guys need to hear that from you. You husbands, you wives, listen, ladies, when your husband hears you tell him that you're stuck on him, there's no man greater to you than him, that you love him, that, that, that he matters so much to you, he will rise to the challenge. Guys want to hear that because we live in a world that beats the men down. You ladies, when you begin, single ladies begin dating and looking for a relationship and you find that man that you see as a true gentleman, then, then speak words of praise to him and encouragement to him and, and respect him and, and let him know that as your relationship strengthens and as it gets deeper, that, that he's the only one in your heart. Teach your daughters to look for a man like that. Model that, ladies, for your daughters by how you speak about your husband. Praise is huge. You step into whatever you praise for. But I'm afraid that so oftentimes in our marriages and our families, we end up talking about the things we don't like about each other. And it's very easy, it's very easy to become critical of each other, isn't it? 
And sarcasm and put-downs are more painful than you think. Far more painful than you think to both genders. But you know, when we talk about attraction in my heart and in my mind, the most attractive man who ever lived was Jesus. But isn't it interesting what we're told about Jesus? In Isaiah chapter 52, not too many pages after the Song of Solomon, it says in verse 14, referring to Jesus, that just as there were many who were appalled at him. What? Many who were appalled at him? Why? Because his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. It's a picture of Jesus being beaten and suffering. Look at chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He, meaning Jesus, had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we beheld him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. Why is Jesus the most attractive person who's ever lived? Because he absorbed all of our ugliness on himself. He took all of our sin, all of our guilt, and all of our shame, and he became distorted by that. And listen carefully, and in, in that was a transition. The transition was he took the ugliness of our sins and he passed back to us the beauty of his presence. Ultimately, what makes you and me attractive is the presence of God living in our lives. And the more as men and women we let Christ come through us, there's a beauty there that you cannot describe, a beauty that's powerfully attractive. If you wanna be attractive, let Jesus have control, be surrendered to him, let him take the ugliness of your sin away, and that is what communion is all about, isn't it? It's all about how Jesus makes us beautiful by taking away our sin and taking away our guilt and taking away our shame. Today, in a few moments, when you receive the bread and the cup together in those two little cups, you receive a gift from Jesus, a symbol of his life and his death. And what you have there what you have there is a beautiful picture of his beauty. That as you eat that bread and drink that cup, it is reminiscent of the forgiveness of your sins. And it is a picture of his beauty entering into your life. God sees you as perfect today because of what his son did for you and me. In a few moments when you receive the elements, we want you to partake of them when you're ready on your own. Remember, Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take it and eat it, remembrance of me. Remember his words when he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Shall we pray? Father, as we consider what you have done for us, may you fill our hearts this day with thanksgiving. 
Thank you, Father, for removing the ugliness of our sins and beautifying us with the presence of your grace and your peace. Lord, I pray and ask that you would help us to live out of your beauty in our lives, that we would become attractive for the right reasons. We ask in Christ's name, amen.